Father in heaven, we come before you once again at this high point of worship to hear your word. We come because you have invited us, you have drawn us to come, and there is a word to be preached because you have given that word. And yet you have not stopped there. The Holy Spirit resides in us, causing us to see, to speak, to hear Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Holy Spirit, I call on you to do that which brings you delight. Use me to preach your word, and I call on you to work and stir within the hearts of my brothers and sisters to do that which you delight, that they might hear and see and understand all the clearer the gospel of Jesus Christ, of which they rejoice and by which they are saved. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We continue our series on Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And just a quick recap. So last week we had talked about the law of God, the moral law of God, which is our duty as God's created beings, as his creatures, to abide by. And we talked about how the law was good. It was right. It was just. It reflects God's character. It is perfect without blemish. But it could not. It cannot save. But that's not why the law was given to God's people. It was meant to reveal our sin and our need for God's grace, and it served, the law served as the pointer to the grace which was to come. It was intended to point, to, point us to the one who would come, who has come to save, Jesus the Christ. And so now, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 25 through 29. You'll find it in your Bibles after... Corinthians, before Ephesians, or you will also find it at the top of the back of the outline. Galatians chapter 3, verse 25 through 29. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Three points to today's message. Our sons of God through faith in Christ, one in Christ Jesus and Abraham's offspring and heirs. And so the first point, sons of God through faith in Christ, which is what verse 26 Paul calls us. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. In the Old Testament, God was called many wonderful names. God, Lord, Almighty, the Holy One of Israel, 
but it was almost never the case that individuals called on God as Father. So the general Old Testament Israelite and Jewish mind didn't quite have it in their vocabulary to call God their Father. But when Jesus came, he scandalized the Pharisees. What did he do? He called God his Father. Do you remember that in the Gospels? God called God his Father. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, just, they were saying, you blasphemer, how dare you call yourself a son of God? as if there could be such a thing. But then we saw at the baptism of Jesus Christ, God's declaration for some people to see and for people to hear. Maybe those didn't under, some didn't understand what they were hearing. But as Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, from heaven, God spoke this is my son with whom I am pleased. This is my son. With the Holy Spirit descending on him as a dove. This wonderful picture given to us of our triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And he called God his father because... In truth, the first person of the Trinity was his Father. Now, as we catechize our children, we tell them that Jesus Christ is a son, begotten, not made, not generated, as if he was just born out of the Father. But they have this relationship of Father and Son, with all the wonderful blessings that you should imagine as being part of that in all eternity. Before time, God the Father and Christ the Son had this wonderful relationship. And so when Jesus Christ called God his Father, he was saying the absolute truth. But then, when the disciples came to Jesus asking well, how should we pray if we're not supposed to be people who pray out on street corners and in public, drawing attention to ourselves? Jesus, Master, how do we pray? And Jesus gave them these wonderful words. This is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father. You know, Jesus could have said, my Father in heaven, because as the second person of the Trinity, God the Father really was his Father. But Jesus went this amazing, unexpected step further and invites us to call along with him, his Father, our Father. And the rest of the New Testament explodes with this news. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. 
that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Or Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You Koreans and Hungarians in the congregation will feel this a little bit more closely to heart, but I invite the rest of you to put on your Korean and Hungarian caps. In, the, in Aramaic, this word Abba, which also means father, was not the word for that, you know, just where you properly say, oh, father, dinner is to be served on the patio or something, or something stupid like that. This word Abba is the word for daddy, the way that it is in Korean and Hungarian. Daddy. One, a name of closeness a full visibility of this relationship of dependence and trust. And Paul writes that the Spirit of God who is in our hearts makes us adopted sons of God that we can call God Daddy. And So for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The spirit of bondage, of the law, which we heard last week. That under the law we were imprisoned and we had no freedom. And so this slavery of fear, of fearing that we would fail the law once again and fall back into condemnation and death. That is not what the spirit of God has given to us. Rather, we can call God our Father, which is, in fact, the very opposite of the definition then of this fear of slavery and of death, one of family, of being brought in forever, permanently. You know, my daughter, Abby, asks, are you proud of me? A lot. You know, if she nailed uh, playing piano, Are you proud of me? If she did her butterfly stroke in swimming well, are you proud of me? So she asked it with a smile on her face because she loves just when I delight in her, when I am pleased with her. But there's a, after Faith Builders, one Friday night with this lesson, there was homework, homework to bring home to ask your child this question. And so I did the homework and I asked, Abby, What's better, for Appa to be proud of you because you've done these just great things, or for Appa to just love you because he loves you, and that's it? Which one is better? And she thought about it for a second, but she didn't have to think about it for very long. And she said, the second one. I want Appa to love me just because. And I said, why? And she was spot on with this answer. Because I might not always do things 
that make you proud of me. Bingo. She nailed it. She is not a performer of tricks. She is not an achiever of wonderful deeds. She is my daughter with whom I am pleased. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul continues to say, we don't have to convince ourselves of this alone. The Holy Spirit is the one reminding us of this wonderful truth. And one more verse from Romans, chapter 9, verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And Paul is talking about our identity. Where are we forming that, our, uh, that identity? Is it because of things that you do? Is it because of how you were born or what race or what nation you were born under? No. In Christ, we have another identity, and that is as offspring, as children of God. Paul starts this passage in Galatians by saying, but now, because he is saying something has changed. Just like the, in the Old Testament, people weren't used to calling God our Father. There was a moment, there was something that happened, and we just celebrated that a few weeks ago. May it never depart from your thoughts. Because Christians forever celebrate Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Christ has come. That was what changed. There was a certain state of affairs, but in Jesus Christ, things are different. And now we are sons of God. How does the passage say? Through faith. It's not that we were already sons of God in creation, in our makeup, making sin just something that just kind of fell on us and just could be dusted off. But salvation is only, the text says, through Jesus, in Jesus. Just like Noah and the others were saved only because they were in the ark. We are only saved. We are only sons of God because we are in Jesus Christ. We must be in Jesus to have this adoption as sons of God. In fact, I, I remembered this most wonderful quote about this subject in J.I. Pactor's Knowing God. It's actually on the inside of your bulletin, on the inside flap. So I'm going to read that right now if you want to read along. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And having God as his father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. I can think of no more appropriate connection on a week that's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday 
than to explore and to be reminded of the wonderful doctrine of adoption. Because each and every one of us are adopted into God's family. We weren't God's natural sons and daughters, were we? And if we were to be brought into his family, we would necessarily have to be adopted by him. Now, we've heard this in sermons past. In Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. We are declared acceptable before God. But doesn't mean that you are righteous, does it? It doesn't mean that you've stopped sinning, does it? But still, God declares us to be righteous and considers us righteous. Adoption works that way, we've, we've said. That prior to signing those adoption papers, there is no legal relationship between this adult and this child. But once those papers are signed, there is that legal connection. There's that legal relationship. And that child is part of the family. But there is something that precedes the signing of that document, isn't there? There is the love of the person who would be the adoptive parent. That parent who comes and says, though we are strangers, I will make much of you. Though we have no connections, I will make of you my child. Which speaks to Job 7, verse 17. What is man that you make so much of him, and that you set your heart on him. Or as we've sung in worship, who am I that the Lord of all the earth should look on me with love? We see the love of the adopting parent, which is just a tiny shadow of the love of the adopting God who becomes our father. And so let us delight in adoption. My wife and I, before we even met, we sought, we desired and asked of the Lord, make of me one who would adopt in the future. Let me marry and then adopt that I might know your heart of love for your children in adoption, just as I seek to know Christ's love for the church in marriage. So, and Kim and I still pray that the Lord will give us that joy. But even if we never get to adopt, we delight in adoption. I know there are those of you who have adopted in our church, and I love when you share about that. And I pray and hope that we will be a church that supports adoption in our country and in the world. You know, in the same week as just horrible declarations like the governor of New York saying that pro-lifers are extremists have, and have no place in this state, or the mayor of New York City, the new mayor, Bill de Blasio, saying that he is going after all the crisis pregnancy centers because he says that they provide no re reproductive health benefit for women and wants them all shut down. In a week with horrible, demonic news like that, we also get 
a little Korean pastor in Seoul and his story going viral on Facebook and YouTube because in his church he made a cutout like a book depository, a library book depository box for people, for young mothers to drop off babies that they would not die abandoned in the streets. And the laws of Korea are kind of tough. Kids who are dropped off that way can't really be adopted by anybody else. And so he opened himself to adopting every kid that would be brought in. Most of them with Down syndrome or birth defects. May we be a church that loves life because it is God who creates life. And may we be a church that delights that we are all adopted children of God and seek to share that blessing and to go and do the uncomfortable things, whether it's to adopt, whether it's to take out of the money that God has given to us and provide for those who stand in the gap or to be very unpopular in this climate and to protest Mayor de Blasio or Governor Cuomo, or others in Congress, in the House, or the Senate, or the President even, because we understand that there is a higher authority that says, this is life that He has made. And so we move from that understanding of adoption as sons to the second point, being one in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is the language of putting on a garment. And what it causes us to think about as we put on Jesus Christ as a garment is that He is our garment who covers over our nakedness and our shame. And do you remember, this connects us to Genesis and the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and then in their understanding their sin, and in their shame of their sin, they slathered leaves and mud onto their bodies to cover their nakedness. It's like trying to put a Band-Aid on cancer. Their nakedness was not the source of their shame, their sin was. And God had to cast them out of His garden for they were no longer deserving of his presence. But do you know what he did before he just sent them out? He gave them garments, real garments, not out of leaves and mud, but skins of animals. The first sacrifice made in all history to cover our shame, which would be just the foreshadowing of Jesus who was to come, the last and final sacrifice to cover our shame. And it is Jesus Christ that we have put on, brothers and sisters, that unites us. He is not a trillion separate garments, but He is one garment. He is one sacrifice for sin. And Paul goes on to say that there, these are the things that we are no longer anymore, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And he is saying the main ways that we distinguish and separate ourselves in this world, race and culture, socioeconomic status and gender. 
In fact, all the ways that we have been brutal to each other in, these, in the world can pretty much be boiled down to the differences that we see in these ways. But Christ is the answer to all this. Not that he flattens all of our distinctives. One of the things I love about our church, and many tell me that they love this as well, I love the diversity of our church. Not, we, not that we are trying to go for any particular ethnic balance, but I love how we are a picture of the worshipers of God in Revelation, that every tribe, nation, and tongue represented are the white people here because John is white, and are the Asian people here because Tay and I are Asian? No. It is because we preach Christ. And at this church, we seek to live out Christ. And he is the one who unites us. And John is happy, loves saying that in the years that he has been at this church, God has given to us a supernatural unity and not a spirit of divisiveness. And the only thing that we can say about that, it is that Christ is the one who unites us. And Paul, and elsewhere in Scripture, with Philemon, his letter to Philemon, his friend, another Christian, who had a slave, Onesimus, Paul writes a letter to him saying, I want you to receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother, because that is the truest identity and relationship you have with each other. For he is in Christ, just as you are in Christ, you are brothers. In fact, let us use our differences to serve each other. Like the church of Acts, where many who had gave that widows and orphans would be fed and clothed and housed. And I've been holding this one back till now. Women. All right, the first point, I talked about being sons of God. And I hammered that, sons, sons, sons. In fact, some of you might have translations of the Bible that say just children or sons and daughters of God. You might be thinking, Man, why aren't we using that translation in church? This is why. This is good. You're going to like this. Any of you, particularly women, who have read Pride and Prejudice know the problem that many women have had in history. The Bennett sisters could not inherit the estate. They were going to be thrown out and homeless, and they had to marry because they could not inherit their father's estate when he died. And that wasn't just Victorian England, but it was pretty much every previous point in history and geography as well. But when Paul is saying that you are all sons, he is not excluding any of the women. But he is doing something radical that he learned from his Savior, Jesus Christ. That women are full and equal members of God's children. Women are being called full heirs. Women couldn't even serve as witnesses back then. But Christ has come, 
and he even calls women full heirs of God. And so Paul then delights to write this. There is neither male nor female, because though God has created you to be male and female, he does not treat you any differently for being male or female. Isn't that good news? God does not hold or prize what race he made us, what money he gave us, or what beautiful gender that he created us to be but that he accepts us all in the full, not as slaves, not as house servants, not as children who don't get anything yet, not as just women who never inherited anything, but everyone at the fullest possible relationship as sons of God. So it is union with Christ that unites us with one another. As we learned in Ephesians, that we are members of but one body of which Christ is the head. And we come to our last point, because Paul is going to just bring all of this home. Abraham's offspring. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul has united us to Abraham, the one all the Jews called their father because rightly so they are all descended from Abraham but Paul is inviting us in as grafted members of that branch and he is talking about the scripture that we read during worship Genesis 15 God appeared to Abraham and said Abraham do not fear for I am your shield and your very great reward And Abraham says, but I have no kids. You promised nations from me, but I have no kids. I don't get it. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God didn't just double down, he trillion downed. And he said, it is going to happen I will make it happen. And these heirs that came through Isaac and through Jacob and through the tribes of Israel, Paul says that we in Christ are those descendants. We are the offspring that God promised to Abraham, saying, I will bless you and you will be a blessing and all nations will be blessed through you. But how is that possible? See, this word that he uses, heirs, kleronomoi, it combines two words, all right? Nomos, for law, which we've already heard about just, uh, just in these past months. And kleros, kleros, where you are a possessor. So heir means the rightful inheritor the lawful inheritor. But we just got through understanding that it is not by the law that we are saved. It is not by the law that we get anything. So how are we ever to be the lawful inheritors, heirs of anything?
Paul says that it's according to the promise. We were the stars that God pointed out to Abraham. But Jesus Christ was the seed of that promise. The one through whom Abraham's line would bless all nations. Jesus Christ was the one who obeyed God's law perfectly. He was the perfect law keeper. The one who lived how we should have lived. And it was the perfect law keeper, the law abider, the law lover, who went to the cross. And as he hung on the cross for our sins, he gave us credit. Credit for his obedience. And so in Jesus Christ, God declares us to be those lawful inheritors according to what Christ has done. Who is the only one who deserves inheritance, who deserves reward? The true Son of God, Jesus Christ. But as he hung on the cross for our sins, Jesus Christ became our eldest brother, and the means by which we were adopted into God's family that we might call God our Father. Jesus Christ gave up His reward, what only He deserved, that we might have His reward, that we might be forever with the Father in heaven for all eternity. We are all heirs to the promise because of what the firstborn from among the dead has done our eldest brother, Jesus Christ. So that when God sees you, now maybe you think that God has watered down his promise and his love for you, that if there are a trillion of us, that God has divided up his love into one trillion pieces. But no, that is not what happens. God sees you, 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 every one of you who are in Christ with the love that he really should have for his son, Jesus Christ, alone. Because Christ's blood shed, covers over us. It's a garment of grace. And so now God has the love for you as the Father has for his son. We are equal inheritors of that reward which Christ has given to us. Only if we are in Christ if we are crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Jesus Christ who lives in us. Romans 8, 17 says, if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so will you take up Christ's cross? Those of you who have not made that decision, if you hear this message, and are for the first time understanding that there is such a thing as adoption by God and being children of God, will you take up your cross, the cross of Christ, and follow? Let me conclude by borrowing from C.S. Lewis saying that I am not preaching to mere humans as if there were any such thing. 
I am preaching to sons and daughters of our Father God, brothers and sisters to our King Jesus. So how do we understand this passage and live? You know, in The Lion King, the ghost of Simba's father, Mufasa, appears to him in the clouds and says, remember who you are in Simba's lostness and abandonment. Remember who you are. Remember who you are, whose you are. You are sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters to the King of Kings. Remember that great truth and do not forget that in the midst of this world which desires that you forget. And what is the only response? As Job 7.17 says that God has made much of us. The only response to that is to see what God has done and to make much of Him. To make much of who God is and what He has done for us. To see who Christ is, who He is and what He has done for us. Make, make much of Him in how you live and how you share this news. Would you share with others that you are a son, you are a daughter of God, your brother is Jesus Christ, and he invites all to be brothers. He invites all to be part of that family in him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we glory in you and what you have done, that you call us children, your children, not by human birth, but by faith, through Jesus Christ alone. It was nothing that we deserved. In fact, we only deserved what the law pointed out was our sin. We only deserved our sin and our death. But you sent your son, Father, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins and to cover us with his grace that we might live. And not just live, but to be your children, adopted by your love and grace for us. Lord, let us live in increasing knowledge of this glorious truth. Let us share this truth with all who do not know your love because we just can't imagine living this life without you as our Abba. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise.